TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome. I was about to say welcome back, but welcome. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon today. It is the... Sunday of a particularly big game in the NFL, and that happens tonight at 6.20, but we have a super show for you this morning as the Comptroller's race is just about to heat up. We have the two candidates, Kevin Hardwick and Lynn Dixon, joining us. Kevin will be first uh, to kick off the show, and then Lynn Dixon joining us at 10.30. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe, on a snowy one for sure. Hope everybody's safe uh, and didn't uh, suffer too much from the storm. I think it was kind of a bunch of do about nothing as it turned out, Uh, but certainly a lot of snow out there. Uh, Glad to have you on board. You know, pour yourself another cup of coffee or a Bloody Mary and join us for some juicy political talk. As Joe said, we've got a packed show. And we will get kicked off as soon as we get a hold of... Mr. Kevin Hardwick. But uh, Brenda, you know, we say this every week, just so much going on with politics and so little time to talk about everything going on, right? A a two-hour show to talk about the world of politics in 2021, uh, much like many have not seen before. That's for sure. I think we should do a show every day, Joe. What do you think? Hey, I mean, I know we could get the guests. (laughs) I know we could could (laughs) set it up every day. (laughs) That is for sure. Now, you know, it's a nice mix of both local and national politics because uh, we've got the controller race that we'll talk about shortly. And then we're getting uh, into some other topics like COVID with Dr. Tom Russo at 1130. Uh, We'll talk about the restaurant uh, uh, suspension of the 10 p.m. restriction that they're finally lifting the curfew for restaurants and we'll get into that with Ellie Grenauer and any other restaurant owner, by the way, who'd like to call in is most welcome during that segment with Ellie uh, at 11. Uh, 803-0930 is the number. So we do run the gamut, Joe. There's plenty of things to discuss both locally and nationally. There sure is. And to kick things off, we will talk with Mr. I'm sorry, Dr. Kevin Hardwick to kick off the show. Dr. Hardwick, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well now. Um, am I allowed to mention what you did before the show? Let me mention what I did. Okay. So two hours ago, just two hours ago, I witnessed something very special. I went to UB South Campus to the clinic there, and I got my first COVID shot, uh, which, of course, was a great relief for me. My wife was there on Monday, got hers. But, you know, it was it was something special. I mean, we're all... You know, we all have a little bit of cynicism in us, or in us when it comes to government, uh, but it was very special because you had you had the state health department, you had folks from the state police, the SUNY system, of course, because it was at UB, uh, elements of the National Guard, nurses, paramedics, all working together to accomplish something that everyone wanted. 
Uh, people there were very happy. People there, the staff, very polite. I, I thanked all of them because that's the way my mother raised me. It was just, it was just something special. It was government working the way it should. It was good government. And, of course, you know, this vaccination and, and when it gets out there and enough people get vaccinated, that's the only way we're going to get back to normal. Uh, it's up to the rest of us uh, who haven't been vaccinated, of course, to, you know, uh, do the things that we should be doing, the social distancing, the masking, uh, to keep us all alive until everybody can get the vaccine who wants it. Uh, but but it was it was very special, Joe, I got to tell you. Good morning, Kevin. Nice to have you on board. Did you uh, have any fear about uh, possible side effects or any fear about the vaccine itself? No, no. Obviously, it's a passing thought, and they give you the disclaimer. And but you know, um, the science tells us that this is this is the way to go. And I have a greater fear of COVID, um, as I think we all should have a healthy fear of COVID, and that'll keep us healthy. I mean, I I'm I'm especially fearful of it because of what's happened on my street. Uh, I think I told you before, a couple months ago, a neighbor, uh, elderly gentleman, two doors down, Don, very nice man, died of COVID. His wife also had it. Uh, but since then, last month, uh, my next door neighbor, uh, Derek, who was only 45, 45, uh, died of COVID and his wife got it. So it's, it's working its way down Frederick Road. It, two doors down, one door down, and the next one is me. So I was... You know, I I, I I really was happy and relieved to get the exam today or to get the vaccine today. I'll feel better in five weeks because I'm told in two weeks I'll have 50 percent immunity. Uh, three weeks I get my next shot and two weeks after that it gets up to 95 percent. And I'll, I'll feel good then, uh, feel real good then. Um, and I would encourage everybody to to, you know, to, to beat this thing. It's a war. It really is a war. And we all should be working together on this. Um, and unfortunately, we're not always. Well, I don't think there is such a thing anymore, Kevin. Unfortunately, there's so much divisiveness in our society, even when it comes to the vaccine. Um, but to hear you talk about it, it's really encouraging. And it's nice to hear that there are so many different uh, you know, factions working together this morning. And it sounds like you're in a very upbeat mood having gone through that. It was, it was awesome. I mean, the people <laughs> were, Great. it was efficient. I mean, they move you from here to there. And, and, and the longest part of the whole thing was the 15 minutes I had to wait in a socially distanced room so that, you know, they could make sure I didn't keel over or something. And I waited my 15 minutes and I came home. And I'm doing fine. Now, my wife had a uh, sore arm. She was fatigued for a few days. Uh, but that's, that tells you the vaccine is working. Uh, I haven't gotten to that point yet. I probably will. But, you know, it's a small price to pay after the year we've all been through. I mean, you talk about, you know, the, 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 the death and the chronic illness as a result of this. People who have recovered uh, who will never be the same. Um, and and you know the economic losses of this thing we've we've got to fight it we've got to do everything we can so that hopefully by this summer we can get back to something that you know looks like normal all right kevin now you are running for comptroller and uh, you announced that did you announce at the beginning of the year correct i think it was january 10th uh, that sticks in my mind but uh, don't hold me to that all right now you know your opponent um i, I believe you know your opponent very well um are you ready for this race against uh, Lynn Dixon? 
Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I mean, when when we announced, uh, we knew that we would have an opponent. We didn't think the uh, Republicans would, would let me run unopposed. Uh, and now we know that it's, it's Lynn, and I have a, a long relationship with Lynn. For the most part, it's been, been a positive one. And I look forward to the, the campaign that's coming to talk about our qualifications, our vision for the office. Uh, and uh, and in our experience, and then we'll you know we'll let the voters decide. Well, I want to start. I want to start with what's going on now because everyone's talking about it, Kevin. And and if you get elected, this would be probably one of the first things that you would be looking at would be the uh, overtime uh, that the county executive has been giving to members of his administration, including uh, Dr. Gail Burstein, mm-hmm. who is made. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's so many numbers out there. I don't know what to believe and what not to believe, but has been getting a lot of overtime. Do you think all that overtime is necessary? And if you were in control, would you put a stop to a, would you st- stop it at a certain limit? Well I, well, I don't think the controller has the ability to do that. The controller has the ability to bring it to people's attention, and I think that uh, that the current controller's office has has certainly done that. They've pointed out how much overtime is being accumulated, not only there but in other county departments, particularly the the sheriff's department, um, along with the health department. Uh, but I think I think that's where it should stop. You know, I I talked a few minutes ago about how nice that vaccine clinic was this morning. You know, different different. You know, different agencies, the state police working with the health department, working with SUNY and the National Guard and the nurses and the paramedics and everybody. And, and that's what we need to, 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 to fight this, uh, this pandemic. But in Erie County, you know, the controller, I think, has overstepped his, uh, his, uh, his, his role. I mean, he's pointed it out. That's important. And, and, and he's done that. But, you know, the campaign of harassment against the health department and the health commissioner, Dr. Gail Burstein, uh, during the dur- in the middle of a pandemic, uh, you know, it just it makes no sense to me. Uh, you know, who does that? Uh, and that's you know, that's one of the things I think has got to change in the controller's office. I mean, yeah, the oversight function is there. The whole taxpayers watchdog thing. I get that. Uh, but it's not it's, it's not mutually exclusive with working with people the way those people, those different agencies work together this morning to get me my vaccine. You know, if, if you, you've got the you've got the controller uh, harassing. I think it's harassment of the uh, health commissioner and the health department uh, when, you know, the health commissioner has more important things to worry about. Uh, I give the health department a great deal of credit for saving lives. I think they have saved a lot of lives uh, during this pandemic. Um, Their response has not been perfect. Uh, The response has not been perfect at any level, but I think they're out there trying. And to have, you know, the controller's office sniping at them at every turn, um, you know, just it's counterproductive. Uh, And I don't think it's it, 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 it does anything uh, good for the people of Erie County. Do you think the county executive has overstepped at all during the COVID-19 pandemic? I, I, think, I think the county executive, uh, like the county legislature, like everyone, uh, right up to the president of the United States and the former president of the United States, have made mistakes during the course of this pandemic. I mean, it was something that's going to happen. Um, but I don't, I don't uh, fault him for lack of effort. I think he, he, he has 
done everything that uh, uh, I, I think he's out there and he wants to defeat this and he's working hard to defeat this, as is uh, the health commissioner and her department. Kevin, a couple questions uh, about the run. Uh, number one, what do you think makes you most qualified for the role of controller? And secondly, what do you say to opponents who say you, uh, you know, you sold out the Republican Party to become a Democrat? They're calling you a flip-flopper. Um, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that, but how do you respond to that, and what makes you most qualified? Well, well, well I'll, I'll answer the first question uh, first. Uh, in, in terms of qualifications, I mean, I'll put my qualifications out there, and uh, Lynn will put her qualifications out there. Uh, you know, for the last uh, 32 years, uh, I've been a political science professor at Canisius College. I'd like to think that I've been teaching my students good government. Uh, I've taught the uh, public administration courses, the public policy courses, state and local government courses. And I think by education and experience, uh, including my uh, now 11 years on the county legislature, uh, I, think, I think I'm well qualified for that position. In terms of the, uh, the flip-flopping, or you know, really more appropriate term, Brenda, is turncoat, um, that's been <laughs> used. Uh, you know, I, I came to a point a uh, couple years back where it just became impossible to remain in that party or what the party had become. It was not the same Republican Party that I joined uh, back in the, uh, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, it, it, it was completely different. Uh, that, together with the fact that I had, um, uh, uh, I think, demonstrated perhaps too much independence for the Republican bosses, uh, because, you know, I crossed the aisle on a number of times on key votes that I thought were not necessarily in, in the interest of the Republican Party, but in the interest of the people of Erie County, uh, and, uh, and they weren't happy with me. And it came to a point where, you know, those differences were irreconcilable. Um, so that I decided to, to make the move to cross over. And I think you see more and more Republicans nationwide making that decision now. I think I was a little bit ahead of the time uh, when it comes to that, because I think a lot of Republicans uh, and, they're, you know, I have a lot of Republican friends, uh, always have had a lot of Republican friends as well as Democratic friends. And I think a lot of my Republican friends uh, who are still registered Republican are becoming increasingly disillusioned uh, with the Republican Party. And I see, uh, you know, nationwide, as I said, and, and locally, you see more and more of them uh, making the decision to separate themselves from that party or what it's become. Back to uh, the qualifications question for a moment, Kevin. Uh, the previous controller was uh, Mark Polonkaris, who, of course, is an attorney. Stefan Mahailu had a career in broadcast journalism. Lynn Dixon also served as a radio and TV reporter. And you're a political science professor. And, and both you and Lynn obviously have served in the legislature. But do you find it uh, strange or are you concerned at all that nobody has a real economic or financial background here? Well, I, you know, in terms of an economic background, I've got plenty of uh, uh, um, experience uh, courses, both graduate and undergraduate in economics and a lot of econometric methods, a lot of statistics background. However, I don't think that you need to be an accountant to be a controller. I don't think you need to be a pilot to be the head of an airline, except maybe Larry Air. Um, I think that's, that's what the, the head of Larry Air is, a pilot. I don't think, uh, I don't think you need to, to be the head of a hospital corporation like Collida or ECMC. 
Uh, I don't think you need to be a doctor. In fact, most times they're not. They have different skill sets. I think that my background, having taught the courses in public administration at Canisius College for 32 years, I mean, that's what controller, the controller does, is public administration. The controller uh, should be making it possible for the professionals, including the accountants in that office, to do their job without regard to partisanship or, or, or any other fear. They should just be working for the people of Erie County, and that's the, the, the controller's job to make sure that they, they're able to do that. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what public administration is all about. It's working together. I just started my class. We started, for some reason, we started our new semester on a Friday. Uh, I was talking to my public administration class for the first time, and I told them that a third of their class, a third of the class on every Friday, it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, is going to be working together in group projects because that's what public administration is about, working together to accomplish uh, something good uh, for, the, uh, for the public. So um, I think that, you know, I think that my background, academic background, uh, my teaching background, and now also my experience in the legislature practicing what I preach, um, I, I think makes me well-suited for that position. Kevin, I'm sorry to do this, but I, I got to go. I have one more overtime question. Uh, you know, I, I, personally, I don't think that there should be no overtime, but when at these press briefings from the county, we are getting answers like, well, that's out of our that's out of our control, or that's up to the state. I mean, pretty much the last two months of Erie County's COVID nineteen press briefings have been, well, you'll have to ask Howard Zucker, or you'll have to ask Governor Cuomo. So, I can understand why people would be upset if members of of the Pulling Cars Administration are getting overtime um, when really they're kind of out of control right now. It's really up to the state that's putting all these things into place. Well, well, Joe, the the, the state. They are setting up the criteria for uh, for who can get the va- vaccine and who cannot, and so forth. But the county is still doing a lot of work setting up the clinics. Unfortunately, too many of the clinics have had to have been canceled on the county level because of lack of vaccine. That's not the county's fault. I don't even know that that's the state's fault. I think that goes up further the chain to the federal government. Uh, but regardless, there are other things that they are doing. I mean, some of the things that um, that they get criticized most for are enforcing regulations concerning, you know, things like mask wearing and social distancing and things like that. Uh, They're also doing the contact tracing, uh, you know, which is an overwhelming job. There's a lot that, you know, there's a lot that they have been doing. And like everybody else, they've been adapting. The more we learn about this virus and how it spread over the last year, uh, you know, the more changes we've had to make in our protocols. Uh, and the health commissioner and her staff have had to be on top of that. Uh, and I can imagine, I can only imagine how frustrating it's been, uh, you know, when they put in a lot of work on a health cl- or a, a vaccination clinic, and then it has to be canceled because of uh, lack of vaccine. Um, and then they have to start from scratch, start over again. Um, and then, you know, I know for a fact that, you know, they are, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm affected like we all are when we see the death of neighbors and friends and loved ones. As I said, I've got a couple of neighbors who have passed away in the last few months, and that, that hurts. But I know that um, Dr. Burstein and the folks in the health department and as well as the county executive, you know, really take this stuff to heart um, because, you know, 
it's their job to, to stop these things from happening, and I think they are stopping a lot of deaths. Um, it would be a lot worse, uh, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't uh, help every time you see, see someone die. Kevin, you know, we talk a lot about optics in the political world, and I, I think that you're right. I think that uh, Burstein and Polenkars are very sincere in trying to make this uh, vaccine come about as quickly as they can and, and to make people aware of all of the dangers of COVID-19. But I think the optics look bad when there are so many, so many businesses that are failing uh, right now. And then you read about the, the huge uh, overtime pay. I, I guess that's my... My biggest concern. Uh, I don't know how you address that. I, I understand. Well, I'll tell you how you don't address it. You, 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 you bring it up, you put it out there, if you're the controller, and then you back off. I mean, you don't, you don't put together a Twitter campaign of harassing the people who we want to win this battle, to get us back to normal. I mean, you talk about the businesses failing and the like. The only way we solve this is we deal with the health problem. That's how we get to the bottom of the economic problem, to the financial problem. We, we conquer this, this pandemic, uh, and they are trying hard, and they don't deserve the harassment that they're getting from the controller's office. I mean, the controller's office was tweeting out, you know, the salary of – the, the, the governor, the salary of the vice president, and so on, one day at a time, building up to the salary of the, uh, the, uh, the, the health commissioner with, with overtime. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just over the line. Yes, put it out there, let people know, um, and, and move on. Do something constructive that actually helps us fight this pandemic. Instead, they're trying to take away the ability of the uh, health department to enforce its regulations by by not letting them deposit the fine money in their account and all these other things and giving people you know a hundred years to to repay their fine you know if we did that for red lights let you let you uh, uh, pay over a hundred years we'd have a lot more people running red lights and by the way we do have a lot more pe- we do have a lot of people running red lights that's one another one of my pet peeves well and too many perhaps for another day too many people that don't know when a lights out you have to do a four-way stop that one was for alan harris hey real quick kevin who's winning tonight who's winning to i i gotta believe kansas city they look so hey, they beat the bills Ugh. they've got to uh i'm just hoping joe sometime you can Tell me how good the Mets rotation is. I mean, I saw the rotation, and all I know are DeGrom and Syndergaard. I assume the other guys are good, too? Well, yeah, but we took a hit not getting Bauer. I don't know if you saw me go uh, I saw that. have a little incident on Twitter Friday. But it didn't hurt me as much because I didn't know who the guy was to begin with. So, Oh, well, good. Well, you keep it that way, Kevin, and it won't seem as bad. Ignorance is bliss, Joe. <laughs> all right, Kevin, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game. Bye, Brenda. All right, coming up next, Kevin Hardwick's opponent, Lynn Dixon, right after the news, very late. I'm sorry, Alan. And welcome back to Hardline. Brenda Alacy and Joe Beamer with you on this Super Bowl Sunday. Nice sunny day out there. It's always a good thing. And we talked with Kevin Hardwick in the first half hour of our show, and now his opponent is uh, on with us live on News Radio 930 WBEN. We welcome Lynn Dixon. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, Joe. Nice to hear from you both. Nice of you to join us. Uh, We do appreciate it. And Lynn, uh, the Republican Party, as I said, has put forth Lynn Dixon as the candidate for Erie County Comptroller. Uh, I'll I'll ask you what I asked Kevin Hardwick. What do you think qualifies you for that position? 
Well, first of all, as 22 years, 22 years as a reporter, uh, I spent much of that time um, dissecting the budget and holding politicians accountable. And, you know, during the red-green budget crisis before I was in the legislature. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Pretty much every day or in the county executive's office, um, really pulling apart what the problems were for Erie County. I spent 10 years in the county legislature. Uh, I chaired some important committees, including Health and Human Services, which is is the largest department uh, in Erie County government. Uh, and as chair of that committee, you know, we were responsible for much of the oversight of uh, the spending that went on uh, in that department. And then uh, I've spent the last year plus in the county controller's office uh, as an associate deputy controller, uh, seeing firsthand, of course, um, prior to COVID and, and many people working remotely, but uh, how the operations of the controller's office, the day-to-day operations work. And uh, so, you know, I've spent a long time in public service and I've spent a long time really diving into uh, politics, what's right, what's wrong, what can be changed, and, you know, what's working and what's not working. And uh, I think those those qualifications are important uh, as a controller where you really, you work on setting policy and empowering your staff. Um, there are some great numbers of people on staff. We have probably one of the best in the nation deputy controllers uh, who wins accolades all the time across the country for his, just for his wealth of knowledge when it comes to municipal government, when it comes to understanding um, these these budgets, uh, and he's been at it for a very long time. And so, you know, we have a lot of uh, great people on staff, and it really, as controller, you, you set policy, you decide on what audits to do, what reports to work on, and you really, most importantly, I think, Brenda, is that you serve as the taxpayer's watchdog. I mean, our system of government was set up so that there is a system of checks 
and balances in place. And you need that check on the county legislature. You need that check on the administration. It is so important to shine a light on just the day-to-day uh, activities of, of politics and government so that people have a keen understanding of what's going on uh, and how their tax dollars are being spent. What changes would you like to see, Lynn? And it's got to be a little awkward, I would think, since you're working uh, for Stefan Mihailu, and yet you want to talk about changes that need to be made. Uh, well, in fact, you're in that very administration. Is that an awkward type of thing for you to bring out? It's not awkward for me. Brenda, I have you know, always prided myself in being somebody who has been independent, who has served the people that I represent. And I have no problem uh, when we start kind of going through the policies uh, that were implemented by the current controller and deciding what worked, what didn't work, what needs to be tweaked, uh, what needs to be done away with altogether. And, you know, we'll be doing an analysis of that. And I'm not afraid to say that something doesn't work or didn't work. Uh, on the other hand, I can also say uh, over the course of the last couple of years that the controller's office has really modernized. In other words, uh, for the longest time, there's still a lot of paper shuffling going on. And so I will say that with the controller's office, when COVID hit, we were already well prepared to work remotely because we already had the systems in place where most of the work could be done uh, from home or, you know, or remotely. So, um, so there were a lot of great you know, steps forward that the office has taken over the course of the last couple of years to really bring that office into the 21st century and allow for more efficient uh, ways of getting things done. Lynn, I asked uh, Kevin about this, so I'd like your opinion as well. And as Brenda said, you work in the uh, current comptroller's office. Uh, the overtime that's going on during the pandemic, uh, you know, it, it's obviously made a lot of news. The current comptroller has brought a lot of attention to this. Um, I just want to know your thoughts. Do you think that is overstepping by the county executive? And do you think it needs to continue to be called out? Well, Joe, I will say this. When we looked at other county governments across New York State, they're not doing this. They are not paying all this amount uh, in overtime to um, to not just not just the union workforce, but um, but the management confidential, the salaried employees uh, that are getting uh, a lot of overtime. And here's where I I want to point out how important it is uh, to provide that checks and balances. So you have to be independent. You have to not be afraid to say look at this. Now, whatever your opinion is of it is your opinion and you're welcome to it. But I think that the public should at least be made aware of, okay, Erie County received $160 million in CARES Act funds. Here's where this amount of money went to. It went to overtime. And here's this amount, nearly $300,000 that went to food purchases over the course of the last 10 months or so. And it's important that taxpayers know that they can draw their own conclusions or they can make, they can have their own opinions about why that money was spent, but they should be told about that. They should be made aware of it. And one of the challenges, and that's why I think it's so important, you know, to have this sort of checks and balances, um, you know, the legislature should be having these discussions in committee meetings about whether or not it's the right use of it and how much has been spent. And can you explain to us why, like where, you know, how was that overtime um, spent? What was done over the course of the last 10 months? Was, 
more overtime used up at, toward the beginning of it, or why then were there high overtime charges still in July and August? Those are questions that the legislature you know, should be asking in committee, but those are, are, are things that the public at least should know about, and they can make up their own minds what they think about it. Lynn, you've been a member of the Independence uh, Party, but that party lost its ballot line after the 2020 election. Uh, will you be re-registering as a Republican? And I, from what I understand, you have a week to do that. The deadline is February 14th. Yeah, so it's it's my intention, especially with this office and the importance of this office being as independent as possible. Uh, it's, it's my inclination uh, to not register at all with the major party. Uh, and to, to to run this race uh, with you know the promise that I will hold whoever accountable. It doesn't matter what their party affiliation, but there needs to be checks and balances in government, and there needs to be a taxpayer watchdog that lets the public know how their dollars are being spent. And so you can do that by, uh, would you be appointing a committee to get that done? Or you talked about your deputy who is so competent in the role. Would that be something that that individual oversees? The, uh, of, of which? So, so no, my, so I, I'm just saying for, in terms of my party affiliation, I just think as controller, um, I'm more comfortable running uh, not affiliated with the major parties. So, that when I become controller, um, I can continue uh, to hold people accountable where, ne- where need be and to shine light uh, on the issues at hand, to shine a light on how government is spending. And yes, we have good people in the office that are the day-to-day, you know, that, um, that the civil servants or those that come with a level of expertise in finance uh, that have worked in you know with public budgets with with in Erie County for a very long time uh that have a wealth of knowledge um that that you know are very important pieces of this puzzle yes Lynn, let me ask you, speaking of um, political parties, what, in your opinion right now, is the state of the Republican Party? We heard uh, Kevin Hardwick talk about why he left the Republican Party. I'm just interested uh, in your what you how you see the Republican Party right now. So, well, Joe, I will say this. I've never been a member of the Republican Party. And I will also say that the Office of Comptroller should be the least political that there is and should not have some strong relationship, say, necessarily with the administration or with the legislature uh, that, you know, that would maybe, you know, kind of muddy the waters a little bit about how uh, hard they want to to shine a light on something. So, you know, in terms of politics, I really think we have to move forward. I mean, this has been a horrible year for so many people. And in so many ways, and obviously COVID has devastated, um, you know, a number of, of people, families, businesses, uh, communities that have been forever impacted by this. So we have to move forward. We have to, you know, and it's been, it's been my style, Joe, um, throughout my uh, public life it is to, to set a tone that's not, you know, this, this nasty go after somebody because they don't align with you 100% of the time. Um, That's just not my style. And I think that going forward, 
given everything that's been happening in our country, we need to just, we can't keep fighting yesterday's battles. We have to move forward and we have to find ways to work together and, you know, tone it down a little bit, I think is so important because it's just become, it, it, it's, it's been such a troubling year for so many people. Erie County Comptroller candidate Lynn Dixon is on the line with us. Our phone lines are open, 803-0930, and certainly the text line is open as well, 716-803-0930. Lynn, uh, you ran a pretty tough campaign against uh, the incumbent Mark Polenkars for Erie County Executive, garnering uh, more than 45% of the vote. And with that, I mean, it was a pretty tough battle. Do you think you can work with Mark Polenkars if you were to become the Erie County Comptroller? Brenda, I put that in the rearview mirror <laughs> the election night. I, I, you know, I am, I will say this, it was a privilege to run. Uh, I have absolutely no regrets. The people I met along the campaign trail, the experiences that I had, the knowledge that I gained about the issues facing the many different communities in Erie County, you know, it's irreplaceable. And, and I, I valued every minute of it. On election night, when I was not successful, you know, I, I said then and I said on WBE on the next morning, I was looking forward to the next challenge and, and you know, face that challenge happily. Um, I, I can work with anybody and who is willing to work, you know, with me. Um, and so, yes, I have no problem working with the county executive. In fact, government works best when we put politics aside and practice good government. Um, and, you know, that's what this should all be about, coming up with some common sense solutions. Uh, so I would have no problem working with the county executive or anybody in the legislature. Um, if, the, you know, if, if the end goal is to serve taxpayers better, then, of course, we should be doing that. It sounds like you have a whole different uh, tone than uh, the current controller, Stefan Mihailu, who is constantly, it seems, at odds with uh, County Executive Poland cars. Uh, does that make you squirm at all, Lynn, when you see the, the antics between uh, Poland cars and Mihailu, much of which I think is driven by Mihailu constantly putting things out on Twitter and other, uh, other avenues? Well, that's, you know, that's Stefan Mihailu. That's his style. That's who he is. I have been in public life for a very long time. People that know me know what my style is. They know who I am. They know that I am, you know, different than Stefan. Um, but there's this proclivity to um, align me with people that are not running for that office. And so, you know, I'm I'm Lynn Dixon, and I'm running for county controller. Uh, so. Uh, my personality is different. My approach is different. Um, and what works for some doesn't always work for others. And so that's their battle. Uh, I'm, I'm me. And I'm handling my race my way. And, you know, my personality is different. And, Lynn, I, I also want to ask you about um, uh, the small businesses that have suffered tremendously in this COVID-19 era. So many businesses are hanging by a thread or have gone under. Is there anything that you can offer to those folks who are hanging on and, and hoping that they can maintain uh, their business or even people who are thinking of opening a business? 
Is there anything you can tell them that you could help with uh, in your current position as a deputy and then as the controller if you were to be successful in the election? You know, I think one of the things that has been lacking uh, is you know, is a voice um, that's out there on a regular basis, you know, for small businesses who, you're right, Brenda, who are suffering. And I think when we, when Joe was asking about the overtime and you were asking about the overtime, this goes back to that a little bit where, um, you know, you see all this overtime money um, for for the managerial confidentials and for the political appointees and for others. And then you see these small businesses that in some cases, you know, it's a, it's a first time um, infraction with, with some a COVID, you know, that maybe like a customer that was walking from the bathroom had forgotten to put their mask back on. And so then the business was fined. And, you know, sometimes I think the businesses feel like they are being harassed. They are doing the best that they can. They have invested thousands of dollars of their own money to try and meet the requirements and the expectations so that they can be as safe as possible and reopen. And I think that so many of them, when they see this overtime money, and then that same health department is coming in and sometimes finding them without giving them the opportunity to take corrective measures or receiving fines much later. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they went about doing their business, and two months later they received notice of a fine. It's, it seems like we should be working with the businesses, not fighting them. So we should be working together as a community to move on, to work toward getting schools back open on a regular basis, work toward helping these businesses in any way we can. And, you know, whether it was, uh, I know there was some money set aside for some small businesses that came out of the $160 million, but, you know, there were more opportunities to help businesses and more of that money could have been allocated to help these small businesses that are are suffering. And, you know, it's not just the business that's suffering. It's the people that work there. It's the people that own the business. It's the people that go there. And it's, it's you know, it's just this, this long-lasting impact when we do these things. And I think it wasn't a good look. Lynn, seeing the, uh, the governor continue to lose lawsuits in court, do you think that we are done with any kind of uh, curfews or you know, uh, capa- not capacity limits. Obviously, you're going to have to have some restrictions when it comes to COVID. But do you think we are done seeing, like, the shutdown of gyms, the shutdown of indoor dining? Do you think that's finally been taken away for good during this pandemic? Joe, it's tough to say because, as you know, every day, you know, things change. And which is, and that's why I think people are having a hard time, too. And, look, I know, you know, I've, I've lost people COVID. I've, you know, I know of people with it. I know people that suffer with it. So, I am not dismissing it at all. But the thing is, you know, we, um, I sat in on the one by Zoom, uh, the one court case with the restaurants, and, you know, I heard the argument. And the challenge that the state had, I think, in that case was um, they couldn't provide hard data to back up their claims. And so, as you know, every day it changes, and every day there's a new battle, uh, and every day there's there's a new challenge for these businesses. So I don't know if this is the end of it. It's hard to say because it, because it is such a moving target. However, I will say that um, the court cases so far, I think one of the reasons that the state has not been successful is that the data hasn't been there 
in many occasions to to back up their claims. So, um, of course, people need to be careful. Of course, people, you know, need to take need to listen to you know the uh, the health experts and and follow the recommendations and and be careful and practice the social distancing and all that. However, um, some of these cases that have landed in court where the state has lost, it has been because they haven't had the data to back up their claims. Lynn, before we close, we have a text. Uh, Frank from Holland, New York State and subsequently Erie County is in the hole for tens of billions of dollars. With transparency and accountability in mind, will you welcome an independent fiscal oversight board? I, look, I welcome anything that can shed light on, you know, on, on good government or, or can, on, on government spending. And I think, uh, to his point, one of the challenges in the, at the state level right now is where where is the checks and balances at the state level, right? Where so we've had a governor who has who was initially given the um, the, the power to implement a lot of things that were necessary early on. Uh, because of COVID, uh, but that that continues. And so we don't see a check and balance. You have to remember, too, that New York State, before COVID even hit, was 6 to $7 billion, at least, in the hole. So now we have uh, the, the bigger debt that's created uh, from COVID. And so what is going to happen at the state level and how much of that debt is going to be blamed on COVID when, remember, before COVID even hit, we were 6 to $7 billion in the hole. Well, a, a big job indeed, Lynn, and we really appreciate you coming out to talk about your candidacy and look forward to talking with you down the road. Thanks so very much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Brenda, Joe, and enjoy the snow. <laughs> <laughs> and the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl, yep. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. We'll talk soon. Uh, well, they don't put a wrap on the first hour of Hardline, but much more to come in the second hour, including Dr. Tom Russo and uh, Ellie Grenauer from the Glen Park Tavern talking restaurants. Your questions and texts are welcome at 716-803-0930.